Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Scientists at the Research Institute at St. Joe's are developing an entirely novel method of testing COVID-19. And uh, that allows for increasing the capacity that everybody is talking about. To talk more about all of this, let's bring in Dr. Marek Smea, infectious disease physician researcher at St. Joe's, also interim chief of laboratory medicine at Hamilton Regional, uh, Regional Laboratory Program. And is with us now, doctor, thank you so much for the time. And I hope you're doing well. Thank you, Scott. And I, before I we get... I ho- I, I was just going to say, I hope your your son actually has changed his clothes in the last 10 weeks. That sounds scary. <laughs> okay, maybe once. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, uh, you know, there's certainly uh, lots that's going on uh, in the news today in regard to testing and such. Before we get to that, just want to pass along, uh, and I'm, I'm sure I'm speaking for all of our, our listeners, and please pass along to other healthcare workers and the people from from the laboratory all the way down to the frontline workers, uh, how proud we are of everybody in the healthcare system and thank them so much for all the great work uh, that you are doing. Uh, kudos to St. Joe's. Uh, kudos to St. Joe's obviously getting some, uh, some press here in regard to testing. Tell everybody where you are. Sure. So, so we started this work back in January, and, and I've uh, spoken to the media a little bit before. Uh, we first developed novel tests back in January. There were no tests for this, and so our lab developed two different tests that are actually now not only used in our clinical lab here at St. Joe's, and that serves the whole city. It serves Niagara and Burlington and other areas, and I think we've done about 50,000 of those tests in the last uh, two months or so. So we developed the, the tests that are now being used. Uh, we then developed some basic automation, and that went into effect about a month and a half ago. And so, uh, so in fact, a lot of the tests we do today are done with a, with a type of automation that the research lab helped develop. Um, and I think, uh, like I said, we went live with that about uh, six weeks ago. So the next two phases are the ones that were kind of a bit unanticipated. The first was the whole world is running out of all the supplies you need, the swabs, the transport media, the extraction methods, the kits and the machines we run them on. And so we've spent the last two months really trying to figure out alternatives to that. And so one of the things that, uh, that, that um, uh, we came up with was uh, Dr. Uh, Bueller in our research lab developed the actual transport medium that we use, which we were all running out of. So, uh, so this was actually really fortuitous for two reasons. One is it's biosafe, meaning you put uh, the swab in it, it kills the virus, and that actually m- both makes it safer for any lab people handling it. Mm. It dramatically simplifies the process of getting it on, onto our instruments. Uh, but the second thing, it, it enables something called pooling, uh, which we can talk about in a moment. So we developed the initial test, the initial automation. We're securing the supply chain so that we can do all of these things in large numbers, and now we're looking at pooling as a way of dramatically escalating that further. So just to even clarify this for the layman here, that this is the process that happens once the sample has been collected. It is sent off to the laboratory, and this is uh, that first stage right till the final uh, diagnosis either way. Yeah, yeah, and, and our lab has been live. Uh, the clinical lab has been live since mid-March, um, and uh, and you know these are not these are high throughput. They're not really rapid methods. This isn't like a one-hour test. Uh, I think our lab has maintained <clears throat> sort of eight to twelve-hour turnaround time once it reaches our lab, and we've tried very hard to make sure we can always get tests back within about twenty-four hours. And uh, we've had a few little gaps, but generally we've always been able to uh, to do that. So where you are right now, doctor, what are your challenges that lie ahead? 
Sure. So the uh, the transport media was a big one. We think we've solved that. We're now working with the government to scale it up. So that's gone into production of about uh, 50,000 to 70,000 of these little tubes uh, with the special transport medium. And we've got partners in other hospitals uh, around Ontario who are helping us evaluate it. So that's the next stage. The province is very interested, if this works, to scale it up further so that it would be available throughout Ontario. So that that's one part of it. The Robotics is, uh, maybe I can explain what we mean by pooling. Mm -hmm. Pooling, we take, let's say, four specimens that come into the lab, and rather than doing each one individually, we take a small sample, put it together, and we treat it like one specimen. So there's one pooled specimen. And we've done this off and on for 15 years. We've we've, uh, did this for influenza back in 2009. Just as a research endeavor, we never introduced it in my clinical lab. But what we found is every time you took one plus one plus one plus one, we didn't get four like we expected. We got three and a half. And what that meant is let's say we tested 100 specimens and 10 of them were, were meant to be positive. We might miss one of them. So there was something in pooling that took a little bit of signal away. And so in developing a new transport medium, uh, David was able to find a way where it preserves the amount of of, uh, virus in it so that now when you add four specimens, you get four and not three and a half. So so that was really, it sounds minor, but we don't want to test that's 95%. We want to test that's 100%, and we believe we're the first to, to have actually achieved that. So we're, we're uh, on behalf of my staff, I think that was a huge endeavor, which was really based on not being complacent. When I saw the results that we could detect 95%, I said, well, that's pretty good. We can save three quarters of our reagents and do four times as much. And they said, no, not good enough. We got to understand this, and they spent, you know, literally the last uh, two months understanding it, and then developing new media that would allow us to do this better. Are you surprised, Doctor, how far all of these scientists have come in such a short period of time? It's it, it's fascinating. I mean, uh, you know, I remember when when we had SARS back in two thousand and three, and uh, we were able within about a week to develop a test. Um, but I think, you know, it was big news back then when people did, uh, you know, sequence the whole virus and then the whole world got involved. And I, I remember it took us a number of weeks to get all of our labs together across Ontario to work together on SARS. And I think that that collaboration still continues. And so what I found is within a day of, of some of these things happening, labs were collaborating, we were developing tests, we were sharing tests. And so I think we have come a long way. Uh, it's also amazing how much has been published week by week. We We've had, you know, hundreds of publications to the point where I have staff to skim through it because I can't possibly keep up with all of it. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Um, we hear constantly testing, 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 especially as things start to reopen up. Uh, I guess nationally we have the capacity to test about 60,000 people. Uh, we've certainly heard the province say that they're expanding their testing. We're hearing this uh, between Ontario and Quebec and such. But and we've certainly seen the frustration. What is? Can you explain to us why there we we seem to have the capacity to test, but we can't necessarily get it done? Any thoughts there? Yeah, and and, and uh, so I think you know a month ago we we badly wanted to be testing more and more and more. We had a lot of clinical kind of pressures to test more, and 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 our labs are still kind of expanding to get to the capacity we have today. So as part of those pressures, all hospitals, all public health departments had to put rules around. You can't 
you know, if, if for every one person who presented to the, to the emergency department needing hospital admission, if there were 100 people who had minor symptoms, we couldn't test everybody. So a month ago, we had to put uh, those sort of decisions in place. And so, you know, most people who had a flu-like illness would not have been tested uh, at that time. Today, we're asking that those people be tested because, in a sense, we've, we've gone through the peak. At peak, we couldn't possibly test everybody in the province who had symptoms. Today, with fewer people getting symptoms, with, with, with having, you know, a few weeks, we think, past peak, this is the time we need to try to find every case in the province. So what do we need from where we stand now, doctor, what do from what you feel, what do we need to do to reopen? Where does testing have to be? Yeah, so I think what the hospitals have learned is, you know, how to keep hospitals reasonably safe. And obviously hospitals have attracted some media attention because some of our healthcare workers have got sick. But by and large, at least in Hamilton, we can say virtually all hospital workers who got sick, they got sick from one another, not from patients. So I think we have learned to protect ourselves as doctors and nurses and others from our patients who might have COVID. But we are still learning how to socially distance, wear masks, do all those sort of things to make sure we don't uh, you know, at the lunchroom and other settings that we don't catch it from others. So the question is, how does that hospital, you know, what we've learned, which is basically we screen people coming in, like our staff coming in to make sure they don't have any symptoms. If they do, they can't work and they need to be tested. At work, if you can't socially distance, you have to have a mask. So in most settings, our hospital workers are all wearing masks, not just for patient contact, but for contact with one another. Um, you know, socially distancing at lunchtime, at break time, at smoking breaks, things like that. So how do you do all of that in every single workplace across Ontario? I think that's the big challenge because there's no doubt in my mind, if we're not socially distancing, if we're not screening people for symptoms going to a workplace, we are going to see outbreaks in those workplaces. Uh, and we can't prevent all COVID, but if we can prevent outbreaks from becoming large, then I think over time we can make, you know, uh, find all the cases, find all the contacts and try to uh, basically uh, try to get this uh, illness to go away. So right now, doctor, obviously the kids are out for the rest of uh, this school year. Many are working from home right now. Will all of those people need to be tested before they enter those institutions or workplaces again? Yeah, so so I, I think the first priority for testing beyond what we've already been doing in the hospitals and nursing homes and so on, first priority uh, would clearly be anybody who's got symptoms. Um, there's a secondary question, which is, are there higher risk settings where you want to pe- treat people, you want to test people uh, even without symptoms? So we will do this, for example, if you're going through a high-risk surgery or chemotherapy, uh, because we believe there's some data to show that if you're already brewing COVID, you're you, you, you may be, get quite sick if we then give you chemotherapy or radiation therapy or put you through a major surgery. I don't think we would be screening children with no symptoms. It's simply that would require millions and millions of tests. And I don't think our capacity, even with what we've talked about, is anywhere near that. But I think we may be able to offer screening to much larger populations. So, for example, the nursing homes have all gone through one round of screening. But we still haven't opened them up to visitors. Would screening visitors to enable them to visit their loved ones, would that be a sensible thing? And can we do that in small enough numbers that, you know, our system can keep up with it? Are there high 
you know, stakes occupations, pilots, others where testing might become the norm uh, because we can't wait until they get symptoms. So I think we need the capacity, but we absolutely need to ask those broader questions. We have a tool. How do we use it wisely? If we step up from 10 to 20,000 and at peak, we've hit 20,000. If we step that up to 50,000 tests a day or 100,000 tests a day for a population of Ontario with 13 million, how do you use that wisely to help keep us safe? Hmm. Uh, many are asking, and, and this is a crystal ball question, doctor, but many are asking what this is going to look like through the summer. How, what do you see? Hmm. So I think if we can redevelop our workplaces and, and you know, uh, I don't know, I, I, I assume we won't see cabs and so on. Uh, but, but I think if we can socially distance like we're trying to do in hospitals, I do believe workplaces will slowly be able to all open up. Um, you know, with the with with the exception of mass gatherings and 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 you know the, the the theaters and so on. But even you know, can you have patios where people have their their uh, their their meal and uh, socially distance? Can you have uh, masks by those who need them? You can't eat a meal with a mask, but you can certainly deliver the food with a mask. So I, I do hope we see a fair bit of liberalization in terms of those rules. But at the same time, the principle that we still have to socially distance is going to be absolutely uh, critical. I think we'll see small outbreaks here and there throughout the summer. I think we have to try to prevent larger outbreaks, particularly in workplaces, in nursing homes, in hospitals. Um, but the, the big fear is, is obviously the fall. Will we start to see a larger wave? And hopefully if we can make these changes and maintain them for the next six to 12 months, and I think that's what it's going to take, uh, hopefully we can safely reopen and, and really jump on little outbreaks when they happen, try to minimize the number of people who get infected uh, and, and keep functioning. That would be the hope. Dr. Merrick Smea has been with us, infectious disease physician, researcher at St. Joe's, and, of course, uh, scientists at St. Joe's Institute have uh, developed an entirely novel method for testing COVID-19. Doctor, thanks so much for the time. Great work. Thanks so much for all you're doing, and be well. My pleasure. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.